So good morning. Um, I'm Michael Sansbury. Welcome to our class on the parables. I don't know if all of you have been to a previous class. I've done it a couple times before, and I'll talk a little bit about what I've talked about before. But um, Gil, Ron Flowers, and I have been doing it. Yeah, make it. That's. I think that'll be fine. Maybe it get a little warm, but I think it'll be okay. It's noisy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I think we're, we're doing, we, ba- we basically got to choose parables to do. We're going through them during the summer. And I think we have this week, next week, and one more week after that, which I'm doing, I know. Um, I think that may be it. Is that when rally day is? No, it's the week after, two weeks after that, I guess. Anyway, thank you for coming. Um, so I, in my first class, I think I told those who are here this, that I am, um, talked about how in previous classes I've done, I'd relied on a bunch of notes for my classes. And so I was trying to do more extemporaneous work. So I reduced my notes down to one sheet for my first class. And um, that seemed to work well. So I did it for my second class. Well, prior to that class, I think I told you, my wife was like, your class was really good last time. You know, good job. I was like, okay, great. The one sheet's really working. And then last class, um, I don't know if y'all were left with it, but it, we, we did the, the shrewd manager or the unjust servant, and uh, no one could figure out what it was about. So I'm blaming my notes for not being able to do that. So now I, I had to go back to two pages of notes. Um, it's, so I feel bad about that. But anyway, that's my confession for today. Uh, all right, well, let's start. Well, today we're doing the uh, unmerciful servant, which I think is a little bit easier to interpret. So... Um, We'll dive right in, but let's first uh, do a prayer. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, please make your presence known uh, and announce your word of grace with authority today. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so in the first two classes I've done so far, the prodigal son was the first class I did, and the unjust steward or the... uh, shrewd manager was the second class and what I what I tried to do with each of those classes is kind of bring the parables into our sort of modern uh, framework I hate to use the word making them relevant but that's kind of what I what I was hoping to do because these stories at least the the kind of context that they're being told in you can see that that what Jesus is trying to do is use common everyday things that people during that time period to be familiar with and then relate uh, his messages about grace, or as um, Robert Capon puts it, kingdom, grace, and judgment to the people who were listening to his stories. And so, because we don't necessarily have the same reference points as the people who were hearing his stories, uh, it's some of them are a little bit puzzling to us, and we may not really quite get what he's getting at when we're reading them because we don't really have the same context. And so, the obvious example is, is a parable that I didn't do, that Ron Flowers did, but the Good Samaritan unless you understand what a Samaritan is at that point in history for the, for the audience, you can't really understand what the story is about. And so you have to say, to get you in that context, I'd say, okay, well, here's, the, you know, here's what a Samaritan is, and, and this is why it was shocking to the people who were listening, et cetera. Uh, but you wouldn't get it just from kind of hearing the text, like the people who heard the original uh, stories would have. The prodigal son is a little bit easier to comprehend, but it's a little different from us because our relationship as parents to children 
is, is different now than it was in the ancient world. To us, in the modern world, children are almost put on a pedestal. They're like uh, the most important thing to us. So, so the story of a prodigal son, of giving your child your inheritance um, and letting him go off is something that actually most of us kind of think, okay, that's fine, you know, I, I would lay down my life for my child. But in the, in the ancient world, it was very different, so the, so the relationship there was, was a little bit shocking to the listeners. Um, and so I, I brought in a clip of Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, who you all remember, the serial killer, confessing how he, he was now a Christian to kind of bring that image of uh, the shocking image of a, of a conversion kind of to the fore. And then last time, uh, we, with the shrewd manager and unjust steward, it's a very, um, for those of you who weren't here, I, would, I, would, um, I don't know if I would tell you to go read it because it is very confusing. But I think when, when we brought it out in class, the story, I think we couldn't figure it out sitting in this room talking about what exactly it meant. And that, to me, is, is similar to, you'll see it in, in several of the parables where the, the apostles, the disciples hear a parable and have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And I kind of had a sense of that after the last class. So, um, so that's so I think that's that's part of part of the mission here. And then the and then the second part, the the title of, of the four classes that I'm doing all have the same title, which is "Sinners in in the Hands of a Wasteful God." And so what I what I'm trying to bring out is this is this sense of wastefulness um, that God is it kind of wastes His goodness on people who really don't deserve it. Uh, and it struck me again even today uh, when we were talking about well the story of Abraham. Uh, that we read today, uh, it's kind of funny because Abraham is an old man, right? His wife is old. She's well beyond childbearing years, and yet God kind of takes it upon himself to give Abraham children. And, there's, and I was sort of sitting there like, well, you know, why not choose a more hardy young person, you know, where you don't have to be quite so miraculous, you know? It would be much easier if you chose someone young uh, to do this, but but God has a way of... of of taking the things that are—it's really uh, things that are dead. You know, Abraham's ability to 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 uh, father children and his wife's ability to be a mother were dead, and God takes death, resurrects it, and, and uh, brings it to His glory. Um, so again, it's a, it's kind of this this idea of wastefulness that God God doesn't waste His time on people who are doing okay or or doing great. He wastes His time on people who are who you know, are dead, who are, you know, really um, incapable of doing anything for themselves. And again, that idea uh, in, in the prodigal son, you have the son who is really, uh, who, t- who essentially killed his father by taking his, telling his father, I want my inheritance now, leaving, going off and wasting it. The most important thing that his father had to leave to his children is inheritance, he wastes it. And then uh, the son comes back and the father throws the party for him. You know, welcome home, son. Um, he's kind of completely worthless, and yet you have this this grace bestowed upon him. And um, in the shrewd manager and unjust steward, you have these these debts that belong to the manager, and then the steward just kind of, for his own purposes, takes the master's debts and and, dis, and discounts them for the debtors. Uh, and then his master ends up, who was initially thought to be a hard person, uh, ends up bestowing grace on the manager and saying, you know, good job, out of boy, uh, which is a very 
Um, again, if you had an employee who was discounting your debts without your knowledge, uh, you probably wouldn't react quite the same way. Um, all right. So today we have the unmerciful servant. And uh, this story, and we'll, we'll read it in a second, I think has a, has a very clear meaning. The idea of wastefulness will be um, clearly evident from it, but I hope it, it'll at least, in, because it relates kind of to our, to something we can understand in modern terms, or at least if we uh, do some mathematical calculations we can understand in modern terms, I think it'll be shocking. I hope it'll be shocking to us uh, exactly what happens. So let's turn to, and okay, so this is in Matthew chapter 18, and um, we're going to read the whole chapter. The, the parable actually comes at the very end of the chapter, but it's a really interesting uh, context to read the, you know, read the entire chapter. And then we can talk about it a little bit about the setup. Uh, again, I, I talked last time about Jesus, these parables being kind of like a stand-up comedy routine. And um, this, the setup here is, I think, essential to, to what is the punchline, which is the parable. So... This is Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> All right. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Hilarious, right? All right, then we go back to the lost sheep. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. All right. Now the punchline. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Um, and the footnote is, of course, also translated as 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold or talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. As this, the servant fell on, I'm sorry, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His servant fell to his knees, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. All right. Troubling? Um, all right, well, let's work through the, through the setup first. So, and I think that the way they've divided up the chunks here is pretty good. Um, so I guess I can congratulate the editors on that one. Um, <laughs> all right. So the first part, so the question the disciples are asking is, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? All right. So what do you, what, what do you, what do you guess the disciples were expecting to hear? I mean, we only ask questions, right, that we know the answer to. If we if we want if we're fishing for compliments, you know, how does my dress look today, honey? Um, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What are they What are they trying to figure out there? Any ideas? Which one of them is the, the best? Which one of the disciples is the best? Yeah. Or or if it's the disciples as a group, what are they trying to do? They're more holy than them. Right. We're, the, we're, better, we're your disciples, Jesus. Are we um, going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and in fact, in, uh, well, there's, there is another, not in this chapter, obviously, but one of the, is it Peter who asked that question at some point by himself? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> All right, so, so Jesus, how does Jesus answer the question? He doesn't say, All right, the people who you know, follow me uh, will be the greatest in heaven. He says, what? Come on, the easy questions are the first ones. <laughs> so, the, so he grabs a child and he says, "This child, whoever's in the lowly position of this child," and that's I think that's one of those things that that we don't necessarily relate to because um, we have the cult of the of the little children, um, you know where. We, you know, our children are always on Facebook or whatever because we're showing how cute and cuddly they are and how innocent they are. 
Um, so ordinarily, we're exalting our children to show, well, look what I made. You know, look how great my child is. But in, in the ancient world, and, and Jesus says it directly here, they're in a what? What, what position? Lowly position. Yeah. The children, children are the losers of the ancient world. Um, so the way they felt about children was, well, they're basically disposable, right? They, um, you know, they're basically miniature adults, which is adults who aren't as strong as real adults. And so, um, and it's, it's in Roman times, you know, you would take a, if your child was born with some sort of deformity. Um, or you know, even if you just didn't like the looks of your child, you could just take him out and put him on a hill and let it die of exposure, uh, which is not something that we do today, although sometimes we want to, perhaps. Um, so, uh, so he says, all right, so, th- so the child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And so it's not, here it's not about you need to be childlike or innocent, in the way you approach it. That's not what he means by being like a child. He means basically you need to be a loser in order to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, which is not quite the, the, um, the uh, answer that the uh, disciples were expecting. It's kind of, it's actually, if, you, if you've seen the Louis C.K. clips, Louis C.K. really thinks children are the losers of the modern world as well, which is why it's so funny. But um, So that's his, that's his answer. Okay. So then he talks about stumbling. I, I don't know if I really want to talk about this part because it's too difficult, really. Um, so, it, all right. So he says it's causing to stumble. And this is kind of, it's kind of a funny wordplay because it, there's a there's a particular Bible verse that I like a lot that has the word stumble in it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's in Romans. Are you referring to Jesus being a stumbling block to the Jews? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to wait till someone said it. So, yeah. So so uh, Christianity is a stumbling block. It's it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. So it's interesting here because he's, he uses this word stumble. I don't know if there's a, I, I don't know anything about Greek. Um, so I don't know if it's actually, if the word, I know the, the stumbling block word is skandalia, which is, means is like where scandal comes from. And I don't know if the word as it's used here is the same, but it's interesting that it talks about stumbling. Um, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then he talks about um, woe to the world because of the thing that caused people to stumble. And to me, I mean, if you if you look at it as a relationship to the rock, he's kind of flipping. It's kind of flipping our expectations here because it's really Christianity is is makes people stumble because why? What's makes why is it why is it a stumbling block to the Jews? Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. We we think in terms of cause and effect relationships, right? And so, um, so if you're if you're in if you're if you're into that, the idea that Christianity is going to elevate the losers, right? To elevate the children, that's a real 
it's a stumbling block. It makes it hard to believe in it based on what you understand about the way the world works. And so the woe to the world because of things that cause people stumble, if you look at Christianity as something that causes people to stumble, it almost makes sense in a way. Uh, it's, you know, woe to the world, woe to the worldly wisdom because of the things that cause people to stumble because it, it's, it's, he's really cursing the world uh, in a sense. I don't know if that's, if that's the right way to read it or not, but it's, it struck me that that's a, a possible meaning here. Um, because the, the way this passage is, is kind of placed in this chapter, it really, it, once you read the punchline, the parable of the unmerciful servant, it seems like this is, it, it seem, this seems extraordinarily weird. Is that just me? Mm-hmm. Right. So, in any event, I won't, I won't talk about gouging out your eyes, although I will say that there have been times in history where uh, this has been read quite literally, and people um, actually did, you know, maim themselves uh, or gouge out their eyes. I'm thinking, is there like a, is there a literary reference where that happens? Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor. Okay, there you go. Um, what's that? Oh, really? So Eric Rudolph, the guy, the guy who bombed the. Why? Do you know why? What was his reason? Maybe because he was as nuts as his brother. Well, okay. <laughs> hey, he's, but, a, he's a real... I'm going to take I my can't. jacket off. All right. So, obviously, it happens. Um, and then I think... Uh, was it was it um, Thomas Cranmer who... Uh, he recanted under Queen Mary um, and said he was a believing Catholic again. And then changed his mind at the last minute and was executed. I think he threw, he put his hand in the flames when he was being burned, right, and said, this yeah, this wicked hand, exactly. There you go. I'm glad you're here, Matt. <laughs> Teacher's pet. Everybody needs one. <laughs> um, all right, so so then we go into the, to the wandering sheep. Um, that doesn't mean, don't stop answering, though. Uh, all right, then we have the parable of the wandering sheep, and this is, is kind of a repeat of the lost sheep, which you remember preceded the prodigal son story. Um, and so if you're supposed to cut off your own eye, uh, if it curses you, isn't it strange that this, thing, that this story follows that? Um, where he, he talks about, you know, if, if one sheep wanders off, you go and find it, and you're happier about the wandering sheep than you are about the ones that stay in the fold. So it's weird that he that he encourages people to kill off a part of themselves when he when then follows it up with this idea of the thing that wandered off you need to go and get. Does that does that seem strange to anyone? All right, working on it. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go to that. Murder. <laughs> Murdering your siblings. Everyone can relate to that, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So then the next part, dealing with sin in the church. 
uh, which is a, uh, not the heading. I don't like that heading. I'm going to have to I take issue with the editors on dealing with sin in the church because I don't see any reference. Well, I guess it does say church in there, but all right. Uh, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. All right. So what's your reaction to that, Claire? All right. Well, so so before we get to that, um, there's this idea of of people going to uh, uh, yeah, okay. So someone so sheep leaves the fold, right? And what do you do? You don't go. So he says in th- in the previous part. If he finds the sheep, he's happier about that one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. All right? And so here you have a brother or sister wandering off, and you go and point out the fault just between the two of you. So you walk up to uh, your brother or sister, um, and it's uh, obviously that's meant much broader than that, but um, do, do all of you have siblings? Do you have siblings? So what happens if you go to your brother and sister and say, Hey, you really messed up. They usually don't like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They say they they either deny it or they get mad at you or say who cares or ignore you or whatever. Yeah. Right. So, and th- and that's really pretty much anyone you go up to and you point out their faults. What's their first reaction? Right. It's not usually like oh oh my god you're right <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's like what are you talking about. Um, all right, so. Yeah, right, right, right. That's right, that's right. So, so yeah, that's right. You turn it back on them. Well, I, you know, you did it. I had that dispute with my kids this morning at breakfast. You know, my, um, my, my kids were talking about. I have three kids. One of my oldest son is here, and they were talking about the various uh, sibling relationships. So they're like, well, the oldest is like this, and the youngest is like this, and the middle's like this, and they were arguing about it. And so my, my middle child, my daughter, said that my youngest, well, the youngest child is spoiled, right? And he, he got mad and he hit her, right? Okay, so, so, and so then, so I got on to him for hitting her, right? And then um, when she, we, we leave the, the breakfast and they go to the restroom, obviously separate restrooms because they're different sexes. And he's waiting for her. When she comes out of the restroom, he says to her, youngest children aren't spoiled because he wants her to say what yes they are so he can then hit her again right so i'm like you know like well why are you even starting the fight and it's it's solely because he can have just so he can have justification for punching her um and i think that's you know i think that's about right when we approach other people uh we do so possibly for our own reasons so that they will react poorly and we can hit them or whatever but in any event it never goes well i guess is the upshot Yes, that's right. That's right. 
That's right. That's it. Just the and it's it's different from I mean you have in the prodigal son and even in the unmerciful servant you have kind of forgiveness before repentance in a lot of ways, right? And, and this kind of seems contrary to that. So why why do you think that is? What's the key here? Well, I think it's probably the intention behind. I mean, if if, if you're going to your sibling to condemn them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're casting the first stone in that instance. But if you're going to say, "Hey, you know, let me help," and your intentions are actually good, mm-hmm. then I think that that's that's I think what this is talking about is kind of emphasizing the intention behind dealing with sin. I guess. All right. So do you, you think it's it's if if people understood your intentions, they would react? better to your criticism? Well, I don't know about that. That's, I think that's probably on their side of the story. I mean, depending on how they take that, you can't really change the way that they're going to take something that you say to them. Mm-hmm. But the way that you come to them, you know, the intentions behind what you're doing, you can control. Okay, or, that's interesting. Know, well, let me, let me offer up a suggestion here. Based on this, everybody see what I'm pointing to? Tax collector. And what book, do y'all remember what book this is from? We're reading? Matthew. And so what was Matthew? And who does Jesus hang out with? Right, including? (laughs) So So Jesus is saying... What and who and 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 who are these people? The pagans. Who are the pagans? What's another word for pagan? Gentile. And who did who did Jesus come and at least? Well, I mean, there was a big fight after Jesus died about converting the Gentiles, and Paul ultimately won that war. Uh, and so, and Jesus came to save the Jews as well as the Gentiles, right? <clears throat> so, I suggest it's a bit of irony, perhaps, that Jesus is saying, if they still refuse to listen, because, and I think what we've established by our own kind of empirical experience is that if you, if you go to your brother or sister and attempt to rebuke them, they're not going to change, Right? They're just going to get defensive. And if you take four of your buddies with you to go rebuke them, how are they going to like that? More or less? <laughs> and so, um, so, of course, they're still going to refuse to listen. Even to the church, probably, right? Has anyone, anyone here ever been rebuked by the church? Anything? <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> Every side. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I think so. Anyway, just a suggestion that if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as a tax collector or uh, what was described in the preceding section, a lost what.
Possibly, possibly. All right. By the way, I have no theological training, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did say it a holiday at Express once upon a time. <clears throat> All right. So then we have uh, this binding on earth, bound in heaven stuff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Uh, but let's let's try it. Let's try to at least talk about it. See if anyone has any ideas. Okay. So I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. And that's been used historically to justify what? Anybody? It's along with the, with the keys to the kingdom. It's kind of this, this idea of excommunication, uh, which we don't really deal with a whole lot anymore, although it's becoming more popular. Is that if you judge, you will be judged? That sort of thing along that line? Well, yeah, I mean, I, that's exactly right. Uh, if you bind on earth based on particular actions uh, and say, well, that person uh, is a sinner, so he's unforgivable, that kind of binds you in two, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, because you're also a sinner. Okay, interesting. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, maybe? All right. Well, let's. I mean, it should be. I, we all we all sin. I mean, mm-hmm. where's that? That makes to me that makes it sound like there is no forgiveness. Well, let's let's leave it open for a second. Let's leave that paragraph open. We'll come back to it after we read the parable. It might, it might be worth saying too, verse eighteen, that the like the, the, the TBM crowd love that. Um, you're so you're so judgmental. <laughs> um, and, and not not in the not in the forgiveness nature at all, but it's in terms of claiming that based on you know, that, that God will do this that, or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, He will. Prosperity yeah, the prosperity gospel. That's, that's a better way of saying it. I mean, that God will heal somebody. God mm-hmm. will expand your business ten times over. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, and there's a little bit of a half truth in there that, that you know, um, in the sense that God cares for us, but. That it probably gets abused a lot in that sense too. Mm-hmm. How that relates to the rest of the chapter is beyond me. Mm-hmm. But take it, take it out of its context. That's how it's often looked at. All right. Well, let's leave it, let's let's open that for a second and let's just see how um, how the disciples react to what Jesus said. All right. So then Peter says, after Jesus uh, talks about binding and loosing in heaven, then Peter, who ultimately will get the keys to the kingdom, right, comes to Jesus and says, all right, I need some specifics here. You You talked about forgiveness. You talked about the lost sheep. Then you talked about poking your eye out. Uh, I don't really understand what you're talking about. Perhaps. Maybe we're reading a little bit in here. But then Peter says, okay, I need some specific instructions here. Uh, this is, I can't go with these guidelines. I need some specifics. He asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? All right, that's a legitimate question, right? I mean, how many times do we want to forgive people? Fool me once, shame on me, right? Fool me twice. I mean, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. So we're, you know, worldly wisdom would say 
once is probably enough. Uh, twice, you're really sort of making a fool of yourself. Three times, I mean, that's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? I mean, how many of us has, have truly forgiven someone three times? Except for my wife. She's forgiven me <laughs> hundreds of times. But um, so, so what Peter says then is up to seven times. It's a lot, right? Seven times? Anybody forgiven anyone seven times before? A brother or sister? Let's not talk about marriage, which requires daily forgiveness. Um, but you know, someone that you are related to, or your business, a business partner that was maybe stealing money from you, was embezzling money, seven times forgiveness. Tough. Someone who lied to you, seven times. It's a lot. So what does Jesus say? No, you know, seven times, that's really, that's too many. I just told you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Cut your eye off. If someone sins against you once, cast them out. Is that what he says? Easy question. All right. He says, no, I can tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or, as the footnote says... Oh, man, we're, we're way past time. I'm sorry. This is going too, too quickly. All right. Uh, 70, 70 times 7, which is, anybody good at math? All right. 490 times. Sounds like a lot. Uh, right. Why would you? I thought you had the answer. <laughs> 490, that's a pretty big number, right? I mean, that's no one's going to get there. Like, we hope. That's right. That's right. I can't Right, exactly. And then he just, and so instead of saying 70, he bulks it up and says a huge number. Um, I'm going to have to just go do this in the next class, too. All right, so Unmerciful Servant, uh, he tells this parable to demonstrate what he means, right? And so he talks about a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he starts with the man who owes him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents. Anybody know how much that is? 10,000 days of wage. Not close. Uh, well, pick a 10 or 100. Come on. <laughs> All right. So one talent is equivalent to basically 20 years of wages for one talent, according to the things that I read, uh, which is equivalent. So 10,000 talents would be, I, I calculated this, I hope I'm correct, 200,000 years of wages. Seems like a lot. Seems like a lot. And what does the servant say when he says, you, want, you have to pay it all back? Does he say, please forgive me? No, he says, be patient with me and I will what? 200,000 years, it's like a, like a Scientology billionaire contract, right? I mean, of course he's not going to pay back everything. It's 200,000 years. All right, so the king kind of laughs at him and says, or he takes pity on him and says, all right, I cancel the debt and let you go. Why? I don't know. It's really the master's kind of, he has his reasons, right? And then the uh, servant goes out and he finds one of his fellows, when that servant 
goes out. So he doesn't say then, he says when. Fellow servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And anybody know what a silver coin is? It's a denarius, which makes another appearance in, I think, the, the laborers in the vineyard gospel. But it's basically the equivalent of one day's wages. So this guy owes him a hundred days' wages, and he grabs him and chokes him and says, pay, you, pay me back what you owe me. And he says the exact same thing, be patient with me and I will pay it back, which is actually an achievable thing, potentially. Uh, and he and the servant, the servant who had the 200,000 year debt forgiven says, uh, no, I'm gonna throw you into in prison until you can pay the debt. The master calls the servant, he says, I canceled your debt, shouldn't you have had mercy? And then he hands him over to the jailers to be tortured. All right. So, uh, so, what is what does Jesus describe this as? So we have uh, kingdom, grace, and judgment. We uh, we know what the grace is here, obviously from the from the master, and the judgment at the end. But what about this part? The kingdom part. The kingdom of heaven? Yeah, he doesn't say he doesn't say this is what God's grace is like or this, this is what God's judgment is like. He says this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, people who there there's a lot of forgiveness. There's two hundred thousand years of debts worth of forgiveness. And then there are people who uh, who don't who force their debts onto others after being forgiven enormous debts that are ended up being tortured. So that's the picture of heaven that Jesus gives us. Um, and I'm going to let y'all go, uh, leaving that question hanging out there. In two weeks, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about um, uh, what are we talking about? Oh. The wedding banquet, which has a similar theme in it, and we'll hopefully tie this up. So that'll be a cliffhanger for you. So you all should be here in two weeks. We'll see you then. Um, also, I did have a clip from Bull Durham. If anyone wants to watch it, uh, it's it's only a minute and a half long, but it's 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 very much the uh, unmerciful servant coming to the fore here.
sucker cheat off of that like he knew I was going to throw the fast. He did know. I told him. <laughs> All right. See you on two weeks.